You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Would you build a house without a foundation? Would you have a child and not name it? Would you let a stranger squat on your property? No, of course not. So why should the Internet be any different? Every week, speak with top domain experts. Learn how to make money with domains. Know your legal rights. Each week, join our expert host to be master of your domain. Hello, everybody. It's uh, Monty Khan. Welcome to Domain Masters. Uh, glad to have you on this week. Uh, we're waiting for some more people to get into the chat room. If you have not logged in yet, please go to uh, Webmaster Radio and uh, log in to the chat room so uh, we can have um, some, some conversation there. Uh, what a week we had last week. We were in uh, wonderful Las Vegas. Uh, we bought Mama a new pair of shoes. Didn't lose too much. Uh, we were there for um, Internext and CES and uh, got a lot of business done and had a great show last week. Uh, Ron Jackson was on live last week. We talked about the, the 2004 year. It was a great year from a domain standpoint. Kicked off by Webfather selling uh, men.com right before the turn of the, of the year last year and uh, set the sights for a great year in 2004. PPC payments went up for everybody. Everybody uh, started monetizing their domain names. We had uh, some great domain sales uh, to report. We, were, we participated in a lot of big sales as well, and so uh, we expect 2005 to be a great year to come. And um, today on the show, uh, we have uh, Stephen Lieberman, who is uh, with Greenberg and Lieberman in, um, in Maryland. Um, it's a, a pretty well-known patent and trademark uh, law firm. Uh, they do specialize in uh, patent and trademark law and also domain law. Uh, he's got a pretty famous case to talk about today uh, involving the domain name Kiwi.com. And uh, we had such a su successful show with John Barry Hill uh, a few weeks ago, actually on our show opener, that uh, we decided that we're going to have uh, uh, legal specialists in the industry on on a regular basis to talk about various issues regarding domain law so that everybody can protect their assets and know what's going on with the current ICANN regulations, what's going on in, um, in domain law and property protection, and um, try to give as many tips as possible on protecting assets, on strategies to keep those assets safe as we um, you know, want to monetize those domain names. Um, um, in the future. So uh, Stephen uh, will be on a little bit. We're going to talk at length with him. 
and uh, answer any questions that uh, anybody has on uh, on in the chat room. And uh, next week we're going to have a great show as well. Uh, I'll have Howard New from New Law on the show, and um, uh, probably Richard Lau, who uh, uh, started a, an ICANN accredited registrar several years ago, and uh, um, my domain. Um, um, sometime before that, so uh, it'll be a good, great guest as well. So uh, we're going to break for a commercial um, and pay some bills, and we'll be right back in a couple minutes with uh, Stephen Lieberman. Uh, take uh, take a few minutes out and have a cup of coffee, and come on back. Bye. Merchants offer your customers a billing solution with zero chargeback risk. Introducing Duo Cash. Duo Cash. And the revolutionary card that's just like using cash on the net. No credit card or bank account required. Duo Cash is available wherever prepaid calling cards are sold or online at duocash.com. So ensure your customers' online experience anywhere they see paymycash.com or Duo Cash. And don't leave money on the table. Sign up with Duo Cash, the official prepaid shopping card of the internet. Duo cash attention webmasters wish you could convert more web traffic into cash no need to rub a lamp just click on genienose.com install a co-branded search box on your site or incorporate paid listings xml into search results and at your command genienose.com pays cash for each result your users click on enjoy prompt payment and superior customer service earn even more through our co-branded referral program Genie knows how to deliver results. G-N-I-E-K-N-O-W-S dot com. Proud sponsor of the Webmaster World. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN-accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R.com. More than a name. Commercials off. Now back to Domain Masters. And we're back. Okay, so welcome back uh, to Domain Masters. Um, uh, I want to welcome our first guest, actually our only guest tonight, uh, Stephen Lieberman. Uh, again, Stephen is a, a trademark and uh, attorney up in a trademark attorney and uh, domain attorney specialist up in uh, in Maryland. Welcome, Stephen. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? Not so bad. Yeah, uh, and I, I heard you just got back from a three-week vacation in uh, Cabo. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> oh, that was supposed to be a secret? Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, okay, okay. I, everyone's supposed to think I'm working hard at all times. Okay, okay. Well, uh, I, I heard because uh, Sammy Hagar called me and said you drank all this Cabo Wabo down there. Well, that might have been true. <laughs> how, so how are you on tequila, to be honest? Uh, well, I drink it and I fall down, so I guess I'm pretty good on it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, welcome to Domain Masters. Um, uh, for those of you that don't uh, know, I've been working with Stevan uh, for quite some time. Uh, we manage a couple of his, of his clients, uh, um, and uh, we have had uh, a great relationship over the last couple of years, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, it's a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about your uh, specialty in terms of your, your, you know, your legal specialty, and then let's talk a little bit about this uh, this great decision that um, um, that just happened for you guys. Our offices, Greenberg and Lieberman, do patents, trademarks, and copyrights. We've been around for a little longer than a decade. Um, my my partner, Michael Greenberg, is focused mostly on the patents. I'm focused mostly on the trademarks and the litigation. 
We have another attorney, Deborah McCormick, who does exclusively the litigation. We've done a lot of litigation in the area of domains, um, particularly because one of the, the client that we both know um, and who was the owner of the, dom- of the domain that we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. Yeah. We've been doing an awful lot of trademark litigation, um, spe- specifically in Virginia and Maryland, and um, been quite successful along the way. Now, your, your clients are also, you know, the very international as well, is that correct? We have clients from Kuwait, Iraq, uh, Israel, uh, England, um, China, literally all over the world. Um, we've done filings for patent filings in almost every single country in the world and trademark filings in 40 or 50 countries. Wow, that's uh, pretty incredible. What, well, how do you think you've drawn uh, such an international client base like that? Mm, one, we know a lot of people from around the world. Two, we have focused on advertising on the Internet for probably longer than most of the other law firms out there. What a great idea. It's it's the way things to come and the way things have been actually for a long, long time. You see it building every single year. At this point, we exclusively get new clients from the Internet. We do no other form of advertising. Um, you'll find maybe one or two yellow book advertising pieces of advertising that are left out there, but they're all old books. Um, we gave up on the on anything other than the Internet. And in all honesty, the people that are on the Internet tend to be better educated and more capable of understanding what's necessary and why you need intellectual property protection. Right, all right. And the type of, I'm uh, just curious because we talk a lot about this on the previous shows and we're going to be talking a lot of it on shows to come with the whole, you know, pay-per-click advertising. What kind of advertising has been the most successful for you and your law firm? Actually, we've done mostly pay-per-click. Um, the second is we do have acquired a large number of domains and use that to create traffic to our website. Um, we have about 20 different websites and use them to, by putting content up, give people a reason to come to the websites and, of course, have our own advertising on each one of those sites. Oh, that's great. That's great. So uh, moving into uh, one of the key decisions um, that you've that you've just recently had, and, and I'd like you to really go into detail about this decision and why, why you feel it's so important for the industry, for domain holders, because uh, um, a lot of it has to do with um, what one calls a generic domain name and the various um, rules and regulations about what's generic and what's not, and it's pretty relevant because everybody has that question. You know, I have this domain name. Uh, you know, it's generic. However, you know, it may have a trademark uh, in some other form and use. And, you know, based off of your experience in this decision, you know, tell me about the significance of this decision and, and how it impacts our industry a little bit. Um, the domain name we're talking about is Kiwi.com. The, and, and so Kiwi as in the fruit. Kiwi as in the fruit or as in the bird or as in maybe right. many other things that are out there. Um, the domain name itself is obviously generic, um, yet the, um, the complainant in this case had numerous trademarks for the word Kiwi in lots of countries around the world. Um, what I think is significant, I mean, there's been a lot of cases where complaints have been turned down. What I think is significant about this case, uh, as opposed to other cases, is that the board specifically found that the complaint was brought in bad faith. That hasn't happened an awful lot. Um, they did that because 
the, 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 the complainant was attempting to use the WIPO board to push someone else around because we were talking about the complainant has lots of money and had the ability to, without even thinking about it, to go ahead and file this. It wasn't anything that mattered to them. Right, right. And, and, and basically what happened is the board spanked them. They said, you know, this is ridiculous. You had no evidence of any sort. And you just filed this in order to, in order to make us work. Um, and you had no possible basis for having any rights to this domain. And, and, and that's really the key point. Just as you have a trademark on something doesn't mean that you have the right to the domain name. Um, exactly. That's what a lot of people confuse in, in our industry. We talked a little bit about that with John Berryhill on the first show, is that um, there's a lot of questions about um, the registration of a domain name compared to a trademark. What if you registered a trade, you know, the domain name prior to a trademark being filed? Who really has the law, the rights? Is it common law rights? Is it real trademark rights? You know, what it is. Well, I mean, the, the key thing to remember is that no, no person, no entity anywhere in the world has what we call a right and gross to a trademark. Or, or in this case, right and gross to a word. And, and what that means is that lots of people can use the same word for different businesses. Right. Um, for instance, uh, we can have the, they can have the word Kiwi and use it for shoe polish. And we can have Kiwi and use it for uh, pay-per-click advertising or search engine. Right. Now, in this case, the Kiwi group, the, the, the complainant was representing what industry? Well, it's just what I said, actually. They, the, the shoe polish. They, they had shoe polish. Right, right. And everybody's seen the shoe polish, the shoe polish uh, Kiwi shoe polish. It's the, the little black portable containers that you see at the shoe stores that you can buy right off the shelf and bring home with you into your own shoes. Right. Basically, yeah. That's it. Um, and, and, and even a step beyond that, um, trademarks and trademark rights are based upon na na first state rights and then national rights. So, uh, for example, in the United States, um, you could use the, the mark blah in, um, say, Maryland, and I could do, well, you'd use it in Florida, and, and I could use the word blah in um, Maryland, and as long as neither of us are going outside of our state. State boundaries. We have no rights or can't say anything to each other, even if we're using it for the exact same goods and services. The moment one of us goes across state lines, let's say you use the word blah uh, for selling chairs across state lines before I went and started using the name to sell chairs, then you would have rights because you're in interstate commerce, but that only gives you rights across the United States. Let's say someone else has the domain name blah, blah.com, which I assume is a good domain, um, in, I don't know, China, and they're also selling chairs. They have an absolute right to that domain name, even though they're using the same goods and services, and even though you have national rights. Right. So you really got to separate it by each country and separate it by the states based upon when, when each person comes in. And reality is, whoever uses it first, allowing for those prior rules, has, has, has the rights. Right, um, right. So, so what, the definition of common law trademark then is, in this particular case regarding domain name, is one establish a common law trademark if they've registered and have a, a definition of use of a domain name prior to someone else filing a trademark online? Or There is no requirement for registration. Uh, common law rights come from 
your common use. Uh, so as long as you've used an idea or, um, or, or a mark uh, and you can prove the use of that mark ahead of even a trademark filing, you would have common law trademark. That is correct. And, and I mean, in fact... And you could defend those rights in court as if you were the trademark holder. That is correct. I see. Yeah, you're, you're, you're com- you don't get par- particularly uh, more rights from filing a, ra- from filing a trademark um, than you had under common law other than some statutory rights and the ability to say that, you know, this is yours and putting everyone on notice, which are basically statutory rights. Uh, you can also get some ability to get more damages, among other things. Okay. Um, hey, hey Stephen, uh, we, we just got a, a message to, that we need to break for a little commercial, and um, um, also I think we're going to try to get your phone line a little bit louder as well. Okay. So uh, we're going we're gonna to break just for a minute. We'll be right back uh, with Domain Masters. Uh, just please hold on for a minute. Are you ready to optimize your website's full potential? Well, it's all about positioning. Trusted by search engines for delivering clean and optimized content pages for customers. The trusted feeds industry pioneers at Position Technologies will help you build a solid foundation for creating long-term impact on you and your customers' bottom line. So visit positiontechnologies.com today and look forward to achieving new heights within the search engines. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust and nothing creates more trust and loyalty and well-written informative content high quality content also generates free search engine traffic content is definitely king visit infosearchmedia.com today more and more women are experiencing amazing pleasures enjoying playful chocolates from playfulcash.com all natural gourmet Colombian treats that are simply sinful as a playfulcash.com affiliate you'll enjoy weekly payouts up to 50% on all sales of these trademarked and patented products. Multiple payout options, 5% referral fees, and private labeling available. Isn't life sweet when Playful is highly profitable? For more money-making info, visit PlayfulCash.com today. Commercials off. Now back to Domain Masters. Hello, folks. We're back. Uh, welcome to Domain Masters. Uh, we broke for a little commercial and fixed, I think, a phone line. Steven, you back on? I'm back on. Oh, you sound a lot better now. <laughs> Great. So we were just talking a little bit about common law uh, trademark. And in case uh, people didn't hear um, hear the first part of your conversation, what we were discussing was um, what makes a common law trademark or, or what what the misperception is possibly to people that um, once you have a use of a, of a mark or an idea that you may not have, um, that someone that has a filed trademark may not have uh, more power than you do. You actually could have more power over them. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the significance of that. Well, I mean, it comes down to, to your rights. If you're using a mark and you've been using it, say, for 50 years, and let's say you've been using it in interstate commerce, within your area that you have actually done sales, you're going to have greater rights than somebody who just came in and started using it and has a registered trademark. Um, if it's close enough, one of the things you can always do is go file, go before the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, TTAB, and move or file a petition to cancel their trademark. Right. Um, just as somebody has managed to get a trademark application through the trademark office doesn't mean they have absolute rights to it. 
Right, right. So by filing a trademark, and first of all, you uh, you know you can't file a trademark for a .com name anyway. You have to file a a proper you name. You can, except the .com is automatically disclaimed. Oh, okay, okay, okay. There, there, there is one caveat to that. Let's say somebody turns around and files a trademark, um, and you've been using it for fifty years. Um, you, if let's say they. They don't contact you immediately. They don't know about you. Five years go by. They can, after that five-year mark, file something called um, their letters of incontestability. At that point, their mark can't be canceled unless you can show that their mark has become generic for that for the goods and services that they are selling, which is an almost impossible thing. There's very few examples of that. Uh, one of them is like Kleenex. Um, other than that, you you always can go back and try and cancel somebody's mark. Right, right. Okay. Um, now, see, we got a question online here from I Like Info. Um, um, as you said, it's easy to prove. Just go to USPTO. How easy is it to prove trademark to the UDRP panel? Not the act, but they're buying into it. The, the UDRP pa panel has been very, very good. You You give them a copy of a registered trademark. Um, with the um, with any government, um, and I don't mean state government because state marks don't count, um, but with any federal government, and and they've always seemed to accept it. Um, they don't even require that it be a certified um, registration. I see, I see. So this this decision on Kiwi, now the, this was a um, uh, was it a an overwhelming decision in your favor? It was overwhelming in our favor, which is, you know, rather nice. Um, they said, you know, they, they, they went down the list. You know, it's, it's required that you go through the list when, when they discuss it. Is it identical or confusingly similar? And obviously the answer there is yes. Kiwi and Kiwi are exactly the same. Then they, um, the complainant has to argue that there are no rights or le legitimate interests of the um, respondent, the the, the person who's defending. Um, and they said, you know, the, somebody who's using it for a search engine or, or pay-per-click for a business purpose has rights or legitimate, legitimate interests. And that's obviously a good thing, especially for the pay-per-click people, because oftentimes people have argued, oh, no, you don't have any legitimate interest. You're using it just because to make money, and while you're us making money, off these people are looking for me. Um, and they've basically said, no, this is legitimate interest. Um, after that, um, they had, the complainant argued that, um, that it was registered and used in bad faith because, of course, everybody knows about them. Well, the standard is a little bit higher than that. You can't just say, of course, everybody knows about us. Um, under the trademark terms, there, there's such a thing as famous, and there's a few marks out there that if they had proven within a country that their mark was famous, then they could possibly say that. In this case, Kiwi is certainly not famous. Uh, right. A good example of a famous mark might be uh, McDonald's, Nike, things like that. Right, right. Um, and they said, you know, there, there, there's, uh, of course you knew about us is not sufficient for showing that it was registered in bad faith. Um, and, and on that basis, they denied the complaint. And then they turned around and, then, and, and went one step further and said, you know, you had no basis for filing this. And what you did here was an abuse of the policy and therefore reverse domain name hijacking, um, which... Make, means that if they turn around and go file for, file again, that note's going to be in there. Right. Wow. 
And and these things, these decisions are important because of the precedents that set. You know, as we're yes and no, they're important for precedents before WIPO. Um, they're not important for precedents in, in trademark law, like federal trademark in, law. In federal court, they, 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 everything. If you, this was brought to federal court, the decision would be de novo. It would be, it would be a full review. Now, obviously, we could take this wonderful document that was written by these three wonderful panelists, and I guess I'm prejudiced towards these panelists at this point, um, and, and, and show the court, look, they already lost once, they're trying again, here's the reasons why they lost. Right. Um, right. So, so in a federal court, um, in a federal court, the WIPO decisions, the UDRP decisions are, cannot be used as like a precedence at all. There are no precedents whatsoever. No precedents whatsoever. Right. Do you see Wait. that ever changing? I do not see that changing. What I do see happening and what we've been trying to do with a lot of our clients, some of our clients have substantial amounts of cash and don't mind going to federal court on a regular basis, is we've been taking WIPO cases and citing them in federal court and trying to convince federal courts to put their imprimatur on them. Um, and when a federal court does that, now it has real precedence in a federal court. Right, right, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Now, um, you um, you have some really good tips on um, how to protect yourself if going, you know, into the domain industry. You know, some things that people should look to, or if you're already in the industry, that maybe people aren't covering. And I see, see a couple in here that I didn't even know about, and I've been in the industry for quite some some time. So I consider you the old man of the. Yeah, well, not the oldest, but uh, not not webfather old, but uh, pretty pretty. Uh, I don't know since 1996. So you've been around, been around for a while, but. Um, these are some pretty good points that I think everybody will get some value out of. So why don't you go over each one and explain um, um, some of the benefits around each one? Okay. I mean, some of them are pretty obvious. Um, you know, be careful. Don't buy non-generic domains of big companies. If you turn around and you buy Nike.com, if Nike is stupid enough, which I doubt they'll ever be, to let their domain drop, don't buy it. Or if you do buy it, immediately transfer it back to them because, one, they've got lots of money, and, two, they're already a famous company that has registered trademarks in, I think, every single country in the world. If they don't, I'd be really surprised. Um, and and if everyone knows these things, you know, you're just asking for it. I, I, I saw on up on one of the uh, websites, I was perusing them, that Martindale-Hubble dot com was for sale. And and obviously nobody should ever buy that because Martindale Hubble is famous and you know, certainly all over Europe and certainly in the United States, that there's no way they would ever lose a lawsuit pertaining to that. Right. Um, makes perfect sense. Um Two, you know, everyone in the industry turns around and, and they're selling domain names and they're, they're using domains for lots of different purposes. And what I've noticed enormously is that many of them don't have any contracts whatsoever. Oh, here's the domain. Oh, here we're going to do this and it's maybe a two-line contract that they're going to pay them something, something like that. Or they just go ahead and they... Um, turn around and say, all right, I'll transfer it to you, and maybe they'll use um, uh, escrow.com to transfer it. But other than that, there's not going to be a contract. That's pretty foolish. Um, you should actually get somebody to say, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't stolen this domain, let's say, if you're selling domains. Um, and when you're referring to clients, you're saying that when you're saying have good contracts that protect you from, from your clients. 
are you are you talking about let's say you're 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 a company and you also you want to protect like your affiliates Right. Protect yourself you wanna, from your affiliates. You want to protect everyone that's associated with you. Right. If you have affiliates, obviously you don't want your affiliates getting into lawsuits because um, that's just going to hurt you. Right. Right. That's right. So, so uh, protect them. Write it. Get 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 an attorney to write up a good contract for them to use. Um, you want to have a good contract with your affiliates. You want to li- have a limitation of damages across the board. That if somebody, you know, if there's, I mean, there, there's the, the problem here is, is, is I can't say what business owns in because obviously there's every source of business that's possible. There's people with content on their web pages, and there's people that don't have content. There's people that are doing PPC, and there's people that have affiliates. And there's and there's people that um, like a uh, good example, Cedo, which they do a resale of domains mm-hmm. um, from every single direction. Somebody, whenever something is done and money is transferred, you really want to have a contract that's going to protect you and that's going to be molded for that particular situation. Okay. It just makes perfect sense. Um, you always want to have a limitation on damages, no matter what, and you always want to put in what you know jurisdiction and venue that that. This thing can be done, and I always like to turn in, unless your client or, or you have unlimited money and you don't mind going to court, put in arbitration clauses in there so that, you know, you're not going to get dragged into court and lose ten times the amount that you could possibly have made. Um, what else? Um, obviously, and, and I didn't put this down on the list, uh, along the way, different countries have very different laws. Right. A lot of people. A lot of people ask questions about world trademark law, or if there's such such a thing. And we talked a little bit about that. We briefly covered, you know, how you're protected in state boundaries and then federal boundaries. But like you said, what happens when you're across the across the pond? Well, there there is world trademark law um, from the point of view in that every single federal um, or company uh, country has their own trademark law. There's a book called Trademarks Around the World, which actually lists them out to a great degree. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the country's trademark laws are very similar, and some of them are not very similar. However, when it comes right down to it, your rights usually start with your use. If you've, you're the first one that was using the, the name, then you have particular rights to it. On the other hand, if there's a big company in that country um, that's been using it for many, many, many years, and they might be, and and then then you should probably think twice about getting the domain. Right. right. You know, and and once again, this is a case by case basis. There is. I, I was talking to a guy earlier today, and he said that he's been in the domain industry for nine years, and that he's never um, been in a lawsuit of any sort because he researches every single domain. Well, that's right. just basic intelligence. Right, right. Hey, let me pop a couple questions at you before we go into the other points because they're popping up on the forum. Go for it. Um, uh, a better mall asks, if you register a, tr- a domain name that violates a trademark, is your risk limited to having uh, having to hand over the domain name or can a company you know, sue you for damages? And obviously, in a UDRP case, it's much different than in a federal trademark case. Um, yes. Under UDRP, the only thing you risk is losing the uh, domain. In federal and state court, they can make an argument that you have acted in bad faith. The same basic argument that's done under UDRP, but 
that you were acting. Oh, with damages, like you did damage to me, you prevented me from making money, or you damaged my brand and, and mark in some they way can, by using Well, it. they can ask for money. Um, damages under trademark law are rare. Um, it has to be a special case. Um, that you, for instance, let's say somebody managed to get um, McDonald registered McDonald's two dot com, or uh, McDonald's Big Big Mac Burgers dot com, and started making money off of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that person obviously knew what they were doing, and let's say they actually were selling hamburgers, but they're selling second rate meat, right? Um, uh, you know, argument they could do it. They could sell it over the internet. They could sell it frozen. That's a case where somebody could possibly get, where McDonald's could possibly get actual damages because they've harmed them in some, you know, actual way. They've 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 derided their trademark and and possibly they might get sued for this bad meat that went out there. Maybe somebody could get sick or something like that. Ninety percent of the time, you're only going to get um, have to turn over the domain. It's that 10% where the, the company is able to show that you've acted in bad faith. Now, understand, if you look at all the different um, statutes, like the cyber squatting statute, there's a substantial amount in there that, that has actual monetary damages in there. And I can guarantee that a large company with a lot of money and, large, and, and, and attorneys is going to try and get money out of you. Right. And if you don't have the ability to defend... Well, then they're going to win because you won't be able to actually say, no, that's not right. Um, a standard trademark case is going to cost $75,000. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, in, in federal court. And, and it can go a lot higher. Yeah, I, I remember I defended um, I defended myself. Uh, well, I mean, I had a lawyer defend myself, but I forget which one, which company was. I had... Um, I had uh, um, I can't remember the domain name at the time. It was a long time ago. It was like 1997, and I got pulled into a by that. You know, back then they didn't have a UDRP board or a WIPO board. It was trademark law, and I had uh, oh network engineer. Uh, it was it was some kind of network engineer name, and uh, one of the large companies that used this uh, network engineer. Um, uh, name or whatever um, um, sued like hundreds of people with any kind of domain name with the variation of network en- engineer, and they strong armed, you know, basically by putting a, a vert, you know, a, a big lawsuit out to numerous parties all at one time, spending thousands, thousands of dollars, even to get out of that thing. Um, even though I felt I could, I could fight it, and I was right, and and all that. I uh, it cost me something like I don't know, eighteen or nineteen thousand dollars at the time. It was very, very expensive, just to close it up, not even to go to court. It yeah. was so expensive. <laughs> that's that's unfortunately the way it is. People, unfortunately, might makes right often within in the industry. Although I should note that that company that did that did something very very wrong. That was an abuse of the court system. And yeah, it, you know what should have happened is everyone who they sued should have banded together to fight them as a class action suit against them. Right. Um, let me pop one more uh, question at you. Um, sure. Um, I like info asked the, the forums lead me to believe that UDRP tends to be biased against individuals, non-trademark holders. So my question is, uh, does the lawyer feel that uh, feel this way in general? Do they think it's generally fair, etc.? Um, that's a hard question. I have no proof of any sort that they're biased. Um, on the other hand, if you're somebody is coming in as a company 
that's been relying on a domain on a, on a trademark for many many years a lot of these people who are making the decisions are in uh, our, our attorneys who've been working for corporations for many years they're going to say well it's just not fair um, it's not fair for them to say it's just not fair um, and I think if you actually looked at the weight of all the different WIPO decisions, probably they would tend towards going towards the corporation. But I honestly think that all of those panelists are trying to do what's right. How, how do you feel about it, though, as a lawyer? Um, that's really not a fair question. Because, one, I have lots of clients who are large corporations, and I have lots of clients who are single people. Um, I've seen it go in both directions. I really can't give you an absolute answer. I, my only answer for that is I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, another question. If I register FordSucks.com to put up an anti-Ford site, Ford could Ford sue me for damages? Um, they could, but they're probably going to lose. The suck sites are very well known, and it's settled law, at least within the United States. More freedom of speech type. Uh... Right. It's political speech, and you're, you're, you're putting up information about how you believe Ford sucks. Well, then you're going to be fine, so long as you tell the truth. Don't ever put up a Ford Suck site and then start telling lies about them. If you put something up, make sure that you actually have evidence or proof that what you're putting up. The only uh, one of the things I always tell people is, well, you know, why don't you go file suit against them and then put a comp copy of the complaint up there because they can't get you no matter what for what you say in a complaint that's been filed um, in a court. Right. Okay. All right. That's good. At least we're covering some of the questions on the on the chat. Um, let's get back to a couple of the points. I think we were on. Um... Well, one of the one of the things I always tell people along the way is, and and it goes back to the might makes right thing. You know, if you're in this industry, consider getting litigation insurance. You know, now what's that entail? What's litigation in insurance entail? You go to an insurance company, and there's lots of them out there, as we all know. Some of them offer offer litigation insurance, and some don't. Um, defensive litigation insurance is inexpensive. Um, usually, if it's for a hundred thousand. You're going to probably pay about fifteen hundred dollars a year. And if you get sued based upon a, the standard is tra trademarks, uh, if you get sued for trademark infringement then they pay for it up to $100,000. Oh, wow, that's great. Uh, it, it, I don't know why everyone in the uh, domain industry doesn't have it. It just doesn't make any logical sense. Um, and now, some of the, so, any insurance, what, what are some of the insurance companies that provide that insurance? Uh, I could look one of some of them up on our next commercial. Okay, okay, great. Um, it, it just makes logical sense. Obviously, you can dump a lot more money into into litigation. It's about fifteen hundred dollars a year. Say that again. You said it was about fifteen hundred dollars a year for a hundred thousand dollars worth of um, litigation insurance, right? Pertaining to, to to any type of litigation or just trademark? I've honestly I've only looked up trademarks, but I know they do patents. I know they do copyrights. I I know they do offensive litigation insurance also. Whereas, you know, you see somebody infringing on your patent or your trademark, and they'll pay for the litigation. Um, I, I don't, I've never asked the cost, but I suspect that the costs are substantially higher because you have the ability to point at somebody saying, yeah, I think we're going to sue them. 
and therefore then the insurance company would have to pay. Um, Right. Uh, there's a couple questions coming. I think it's fifteen hundred dollars a year, and the type of insurance is called litigation insurance. Right. That's the exact name, correct? That that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Litigation insurance. Okay. Uh, and it's fifteen hundred dollars a year. Um, I think that. Well, that's the quote. Last time I I got a quote, that's what it was. But, right. You know, obviously every insurance company is going to charge what they charge. Obviously, if you you've already got something going on, they probably won't give you litigation insurance because um, there'll be a pre-existing condition. Right, and do they check like uh, you know? So insurance companies check you know pre things that maybe your record of how many times you've been in court in litigation. Is there do they I'm do sure that they and do. pre-screen you for that? I'm sure they do. I know they 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 ask a bunch of questions. Okay, cool. Um, pertaining to it, it's the usual and most obvious stuff that you expect. I mean, they're just like any other insurance company in the world. Um, they're in it to get make money, and they're going to make a bet as to. You know, what's the chances that you're going to get into litigation, and, and based upon that, they're going to uh, charge you accordingly. You know, if you've been in 40, accident, 40 car accidents, I think your car insurance is going to be a lot higher. All right. All right. Now, this uh, this uh, uh, fourth point um, about the dual corporations, that's, a, that's one of the points that I've never heard before. I, it's something that I always like to do. Um, whenever I set up... Systems. I usually like to set up um, multiple corporations, where you have one corporation that's going to own a lot of the, a lot of the actual assets. For instance, let's since we're talking about domains, you put all the domains in one corporation, and then you turn around and you license it to a second corporation. As long as you treat both corporations as really separate corporations, with a licensing agreement and a certain amount of money coming from that licensing agreement, and 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 no commingling of funds. If somebody turns around and says, all right, I'm going to sue this company that's using this domain, well, then they're going to be suing a company with no assets. Right, right. You know, yeah, it's possible to lose, and and, and these things happen, but then they're not going to be able to get anything for their loss. They're going to be going after an empty bucket. Now, obviously, they're going to try and, they're going to try and pierce the corporate veil, but one, that makes things an awful lot harder. Um, and two, if you've done your homework and, 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 and acted according to the standard corporate laws, it's going to be very hard for them to do so because you're going to say, you know, they're different corporations. This corporation owns um, all, the, all, the, all the assets, and that corporation is using them according to, accordingly. Um, okay. And, and, and the corporation that owns the, um, the uh, domains, well, it hasn't done anything wrong. It hasn't, hasn't used the domains in any way whatsoever. Right. All right. So that's a really good, um, that's a good strategy. It, it seems and to work. And you set this up for your, your clients? Uh, most of them. Okay, great. Well, we'll, we'll definitely give your, uh, uh, give your uh, email address and some more information about that as well. Uh, I think what we're going to do is break for another commercial here coming up. Uh, Guru, Guru, you're with me? And uh, when we get back, Stephen, if you can um, get a link or two for anybody that ha- offers that litigation insurance, that would be great. I'm looking right and, now. And tell me what it is when we get back. Okay. Okay. 
unlock the adventure. Your key to the hottest games on the net. From Ultima Online to Dark Age of Camelot is here. Introducing Dual Cash. Dual Cash. Available wherever prepaid calling cards are sold or online at dualcash.com. Enjoy instant access to the ultimate internet gaming excitement anywhere. You see paybycash.com or Dual Cash. No credit card or bank account required. Game merchants and webmasters, get your game on. Don't leave money on the table except Dual Cash. Sign up today for the official prepaid game card of the internet. Attention webmasters. Wish you could convert more web traffic into cash? No need to rub a lamp. Just click on GenieKnows.com. Install a co-branded search box on your site or incorporate paid listings XML into search results. And at your command, GenieKnows.com pays cash for each result your users click on. Enjoy prompt payment and superior customer service. Earn even more through our co-branded referral program. Genie knows how to deliver results. G-E-N-I-E-K-N-O-W-S.com. Proud sponsor of the Webmaster World. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well-written, informative content. High-quality content also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearch searchmedia.com today commercials off now back to domain masters back to domain masters uh, a lot of questions coming up on the uh, on both of the, the chat room so i'm going to try and get some of those answered um steven uh, did you were you able to find uh, what site i found one of the companies that i know about and, and i'm going to give it to you but this i'm not saying they're better than any other company. No, no, that's, that's understandable. There. Just one as an example, and maybe we can do some research and, and post some more, um, you know, later on in the week or whatever, or if anybody wants I'd to be send to you an email order. or me an email, we can get that. Right. Uh, uh, infringines, I-N-F-R-I-N-G-E-I-N-S.com. That's I-N-F-R-I-N-G-E-N-S. G-E-I-N-S. G-E-I-N-S. I-N-S.com. Right. And they have litigation. I'm just putting it on the board here, on litigation right. insurance. They're calling it intellectual property insurance services. Okay, great. And, uh, you know, it's one of probably a million insurance companies out there. Right. Oh, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. And we'll, we'll try and get some more, and I'll have some people uh, email you and stuff because I'm sure they want to do that. People were asking about the dual corporation setup. Um, what does that typically cost to do something like that? Mm, you're probably talking about 1800 to 2500 depending on it. I mean, remember, that's just one way of doing things. Uh, there's a lot of other things. If things get more complicated, you can use four or five corporations. Um, I, it completely depends on if you have employees or if you don't have employees. Um, it depends how much intellectual property uh, you have. Um, mm-hmm. How many domains you have? How things should be um, cut up? Um, it, it, once again, it's it's you're going to deal with this on a case by case basis. Um, usually, you're talking about nine hundred dollars per corporation you're setting up. So you're probably talking about two corporate setup, and you're probably setting up a couple of licensing agreements between them. 
Oh, okay. So that's what the extra expense is for. Right. And, you know, you can go and set up your own corporation, I guess, for, you know, 15, uh, 150 or $200, but this is going to be a little bit more complicated because you're, you're basically licensing from one to the other and the agreements you have to put together in order to do that, right? Right. I, I mean, in all honesty, people have come to me with multiple corporations that I set up and said, just set up these licensing agreements for me. Oh, okay. Great. Which, great. You know, but, you know, that's, that's the point. You do it yourself, obviously, it's a lot less expensive. Right. Okay, and now uh, number five, um, try to be reasonable. I know it's the stupidest uh, suggestion there is, and yet in some ways it makes the most sense. Everyone's everyone's out there to make money, um, and you're gonna. What all of this comes down to is negotiations. Uh, no one wants to be taken, and nobody really wants to get into a lawsuit. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, my job is to stop people from getting into lawsuits or to get them out of them as inexpensively as possible. Um, Somebody comes up and they say, you know, I'm going to um, file a suit against you unless you give me this domain for free. Well, they're not being reasonable. You obviously have invested in the domain. You turn around and say, you know, I, I, this domain is important to me, but it's not important to me to the point of spending $100,000 on litigation. Why don't you give me $10,000 and I'll go away? Something like that. I mean, this is a negotiation process. Don't try and hold people up. Right. Um, not right. only is it unreasonable, but, but it's you can wrong. piss them off. <laughs> yeah, it pisses them off, and, and once people are pissed off and in a lawsuit, there's no ending it, even if you get to a reasonable settlement. All right, that's a, well, that's a good point, and, you, and you're right. It's such a simple thing, but people sometimes get so tied up, and um, you know, they, you can't see the forest uh, through the trees sometimes right. when you get tied up in this type of stuff. We're all in this for business and to make a living, and nobody really needs to be sitting there screaming at somebody across a desk or running into court or spending money on attorneys when it's just not necessary. All right. And your your other point? My sixth point pertains to trademarks. If you've got a really important domain, then use the domain, use the domain as much as possible, and get a trademark for that use. Um, trademarks are not that expensive. Um, so they talk, talk about the expense a, a little bit, um, just so people realize what it costs to file and, you know, that, that the, the wait time and all that stuff. I remember when we did it for Moniker, I think we had to wait six months for our trademark to be approved, and I can't recall how much it was to, 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 to pay for it, but uh, give, us some, give us an idea. You're, you're talking, if you're using an attorney, the, the applications can cost you about uh, $835, um, which isn't that much. The, the government filing fees are a lot less than that. You know, we charge $500 for our, for our fees, which is really only an hour and a half worth, worth of work. Um, even By your date, expensive date? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that, but you're good at what you do. I like to think so. <laughs> you know, you can even file for state trademarks. State trademarks don't help you when it comes to WIPO, but they help you everywhere else. Um, WIPO really doesn't accept state trademarks as being valid because they're not reviewed. Um, you could get a st- oftentimes you can get a state trademark that is one syllable different from someone else's. Right. 
so, so they're 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 mainly uh, concerned, or they're the the thing that brings a lot of weight with the you know with the bat, a heavy bat, is a federal trademark in that case. Absolutely, and then don't think just U.S. I, I mean, there's Benelux trademarks, there's community trademarks, and there's trademarks for just about every single country in the world. And in all honesty, if you turn around and you start looking at some of the countries around the world where you know their money's worth an awful lot less, you're going to get a trademark very inexpensively. Um, and in this day and age of the Internet, you know, go to Eastern Europe, go to Africa. It doesn't really matter. You've got a federal trademark. It gives you some validity um, before the WIPO board. Okay, so in a WIPO case, having a federal trademark, even in an international UDRP claim, it carries some weight. Absolutely. And if you're... Um and what is the best trademark that can cover you, or what, how, what's the best way to cover yourself internationally then? Like if, if you want to protect your, your world intellectual property rights on a domain name, what, what would you recommend? I'd recommend getting a community trademark. A community trademark. Community, and how does one I, I go about filing for a community trademark? Say that again? How does one go about getting that? Uh, most of the that. time you're going to pick up the phone and call your attorney. Um, it is possible to do it without an attorney. It's tough. They're pretty complicated. Uh, we charge $3,500 to get a community trademark, and that's about average. Okay. Um, and, 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 and how, how does it carry weight internationally across uh, international borders? Uh, well, a community trademark covers the whole of the European community. Oh, okay, okay. So it's a European... Right. Based trademark. So, um, I mean, if I was in Asia, it would, would it carry more weight than a federal trademark in the United States? No, about the same. About the same. Okay. But right. it, at least it protects you in Europe, in the European Union, and then a federal trademark. So if you had both a European trademark through a community trademark and a federal trademark here in the United States, you're, you're pretty golden. You're pretty covered. Because if you look at the people who are the panelists... Um, for WIPO, you're covering all those countries, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you, you very rarely have somebody from uh, from anywhere else, right? Yeah, I've I haven't seen too many, to be perfectly honest. I assume there's there's definitely some folks from Africa, um, and I know there's um, I haven't I've actually never filed any of the African trademarks, but they're out there, and there's nothing wrong with using them. What about Asia? Anything that covers over there? Uh, there is some. There are some Asian trademarks. You have to file directly, as far as I know. I'm, I'm not the expert on filing in Asia either. Um, we do have other people in the office who've done that a lot more than myself. And given that you have a lot of Middle Eastern clients, what do you, what's what's the what's the rules down there? That must be kind of um, um, that must vary. A there lot. there is a combined um, filing over there, and I think there's five different countries. It covers Kuwait. Um, Qatar, uh, or Qatar, Oman, KSA, Bahrain, and 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 Bahrain. Okay, so it covers the Middle Eastern Arab countries. Right. It's one application for six member states. Oh wow. Okay. Um, and I've actually only filed that once. Um, and honestly, I I'm sure people over um, over there are filing them all the time. But you know, you have to be an expert. You can't be an expert in every single area. Right. Right. Well, that's uh, that's great. Well, 
It's been a um, it's been a great pleasure having you, Stephen. I, I I didn't know we'd be able to eat up the whole hour with you. Well, <laughs> we've been it's able been to do pleasure. so. Be, and and it's amazing because our first show we we were like you know how can how is this domain law so interesting? And there's so many things going on um, with the different changes with uh, the WIPO decisions that are happening and the um, the cases like you just had with Kiwi.com and um, Joan John had a couple of uh, you know famous cases occur, and so did Ari Goldberger and uh, the whole sex.com case and the and how it was you know uh, determined that the domain name is now property and um, you know that you can you can definitely have a, a property value assigned to it right well that's only in the ninth circuit or here right. in only the ninth circuit, circuit but still at least it is, it's established somewhere that's true <laughs> and um, and then with the whole ICANN changes in policy with the new transfer out policy and you know there's a lot of things to cover that's why we feel it's important that we cover our bases and and covering this issue with domain law on a, on a you know regular basis because it's not only interesting but it's it's important as we get into this new industry of domain names that we are covering ourselves, we're protecting our assets, and that we're looking at all angles to be successful so that we all can work together and, and be safe from, you know, people that are that uh, and, and companies that are not uh, on the same page. Absolutely. So I really appreciate your time. I'd love to have you on again in a, you know, in a, in a month or so and uh, would welcome any um, other topics that you'd like to talk about. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie. Great. Well, thank you very much, and thanks to everyone that's uh, been listening. Thank you to our sponsors, and uh, join us next week. We're going to have a great show again on uh, Webmaster Radio, and uh, uh, Domain Masters will be uh, on every Wednesday at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Please give me some feedback. Monty at moniker.com. Talk to me in the chat room for a couple minutes after the show. Give me some more suggestions. We'll try and get as many uh, people on as possible to make this uh, show very useful for you and valuable. Thanks again, and see you next week. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.